This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. News update with Nick Hutt and Sean Stack today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. Since it's Thanksgiving week, we decided to keep this episode short and sweet with a quick news update. Here's HFMA Senior Editor Nick Hutt and HFMA Policy Director Sean Stack. Have a great Thanksgiving. Hey folks, today we're talking about the 2023 Medicare final rule for the outpatient prospective payment system. As always, there's a lot to digest for hospitals. The rule runs more than 1,700 pages. So we're just going to dive in and examine it page by page. No, uh, we're actually just going to go over a few quick highlights. One is that the payment update, as was the case with inpatient payments in the uh, FY23 final rule, went up quite a bit relative to the proposed rule from earlier this year. It's going to be a 3.8% update as opposed to 2.7% in the proposed rule. The change is due to rising prices of the inputs in the market basket uh, based on updated data. It's not really enough to help hospitals keep up with rising costs, especially with looming reductions through a few different mechanisms. But if nothing else, this OPPS payment update is better than what it initially appeared to be. Sean, is there anything you wanted to add about the update? And then tell us if you would about the 340B payment update and the implications of that. Yeah, Nick, I mean, I agree. I think most of our hospital community and provider community agree that, you know, while the 3.8% is better than the proposed 2.7, it doesn't even come close to keep up with inflation and most importantly, wage increases that hospitals and providers and organizations are facing right now. It just doesn't come close. And as operating margins fall drastically the last two years and mostly the last year, providers are finding themselves in a very precarious um, situation of, you know, how do we continue to cut costs without cutting community benefits, cutting access to care, and really operate as lean as we can without, you know, really impacting the health of our communities. So that is definitely of top concern. For providers as these rules come out where the increases to payment models don't even keep up with inflation, let alone the rising cost of labor. That being said, a little, I guess a little bit of good, good news for the 340B program. The calendar year 2023 final rule solidifies the ASP plus 6% reimbursement for 340B drugs. However, some other things to model. There's so much to model in this rule because it's a yin and yang on on many fronts. The negative 3.09% reduction to the non-drug services payment rates for the OPPS to achieve budget neutrality needs to be budgeted to see what that negative impact on the non-drug services is going to make on hospitals bottom line on the OPPS side. 
So lots to model there. Um, there's going to be some winners and some losers, but probably quite a few losers here in this budget neutrality application for the 340B program. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Uh, the Medicare payment rate increase for 340B drugs, just to clarify, actually has been in effect since late September. It was ordered to go into effect then by a federal court. But this final rule, of course, confirms that it will be in effect for all of 2023. And like you said, it, it remains to be seen exactly who's going to come out ahead and who's going to come out behind. For those that don't get many of their drugs from the program, their net gain from all of these changes stands to be significantly less than it would have been without any 340B rate change. Uh, for example, according to the projections posted in the rule, if you're a hospital with fewer than 100 beds, you're looking at a rate increase that will be 1.3 percentage points lower than it would be if there were no change to the 340B rate. So I recommend, if anyone has time, I recommend going to the final rule and searching for table 110 to see a full breakdown of the impact uh, and the impact, not just from 340B, but from several other policy changes. Right, Nick, and, and this is just an area where smaller providers are going to be even more so at a disadvantage in this case as well. You're right, less than 100 beds. Yeah, so it's just the, the gap between hospitals in terms of performance appears like it's only going to widen as a result of this rule and the many changes that it contains. And then we don't have a whole lot of time left in this segment, but uh, CMS has finalized the payment rates and policies for the new rural emergency hospital designation, which is available starting January 1st. So that's worth checking out. We're going to be talking about that in a future episode. Uh, but Sean, what are maybe just one or two things to watch for if you're potentially interested in participating as a REH? Yeah, Nick, there's, there's a lot of impacts moving here if you're actually looking at enrolling as a, a, a rural emergency hospital, you know, that provider type um, beginning January 1st. The rule finalizes the provider enrollment procedures and payment rates, as you just talked about, along with the REH conditions of participation. Um, it talks about physician self-referral law and updates that, and then the rural emergency um, hospital quality reporting program is mentioned and covered in that section of the rule as well. So lots to unpack there, lots of analysis for folks to do. What's the impact to their 340P programs if they become a rural emergency hospital? You know, just a lot of moving parts here to take into consideration before making that jump. And then in addition to that, keep in mind that the rural sole community hospitals exemption or clinic visit policy came out in the rule. So another area to focus on for our rural members functioning in that area. For sure. So, so like we said, there's a ton to unpack in this rule. Uh, we'll be talking about the REH designation coming up, you know, in the next couple of episodes, I would think. So stay tuned for that. But uh, in the meantime, as always, stay tuned to HFMA for news and analysis on the many implications of uh, Medicare payment policies pertaining to outpatient payments and payments for all other settings. Uh, so thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is the Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Registration is now open for our Revenue Cycle Conference in March. It's going to be in Phoenix. So if you're looking out your window at snow right now, like I am, maybe book those tickets and think of how much you'll enjoy the pleasant Arizona weather. 
And if you want to talk with our team, reach out at podcast at hfma.org. Oh, yeah, I should have wished everybody happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>